Historic True Crime Podcast. I'm Jasmine, and thanks for joining me for another episode. I have a really interesting story for you this week, especially if you remember your elementary school history classes, if you went to elementary school in the United States. But before I get into that, I do have to apologize. This is not that Twisted Asylum tale that I promised you. April is no longer going to be Asylum Month, and that is because... Well, I found too much information to fit just into a month's worth of episodes. So instead, I'm going to take all of the asylum information and turn it into a whole season. And that will be my very next season starting in June after I wrap this one up. And I do also apologize for missing last week. Maggie and I have been working on some stuff, including concocting this next season. If you have anywhere that you want to hear about, any asylum, anything like that, please let me know. I already have a few requests that I'm working into this whole season. So you can reach me either on Twitter or TikTok at darknostalgia underscore or Facebook and Instagram at darknostalgiaworks. If you're not one for social media, you can also find me on darknostalgiaworks.com. And there's an email form and all sorts of stuff that you can fill in to get in contact with me. In addition to that, you can find all of the episodes for this podcast, The Good Old Days and Feminist History, plus anything else that we happen to be working on. Now, jumping into this week's episode, I'm going to be talking about Boston, specifically the Boston Tea Party. And I have spoken many times before about having ties to both Britain and the United States. So I really don't know how I've made it this far into my podcasting journey without talking about any early colonial clashes of the crown and the colonists. So I'm going to do that today. The Boston Tea Party is something that pretty much every American child learns at some point in school. Typically, I think I remember it from elementary school the most. Even as someone who has always had a love and interest of history, I can't say that anything about this event particularly stuck out to me other than the fact that a bunch of tea got tipped into the Boston Harbor and as a a half Brit, or actually technically I think I'm three quarters, who grew up drinking tea, I found this rather wasteful. Um, (laughs) And I obviously understood that this was something to do with the American Revolutionary War and um, was a pretty big symbolic gesture. What did not sink in when I was learning about this event and what I, I honestly just didn't realize was how impactful it truly was. And to give you an idea of that, I'm going to go with some statistics. And I am not a numbers person, but they are weighty, uh, for lack of a better term. The amount of tea that actually got dumped into the harbor weighed roughly 92,000 pounds or about 46 tons, which would have produced almost 19 million cups of tea and accounted for the majority of tea that was drank within a year in in the colonies. So it was pretty much a year's supply worth of tea. So it was a lot. The financial loss to the East India Company at the time was £9,659, just short of £10,000, which today in, in various estimates is between $1 and $2 million. Most estimates put that at closer to $2 million loss. So what exactly happened to lead up to a bunch of colonists sneaking onto boats and tipping tea into the Boston Harbor on December 16th of 1773? 
Well, we have to first go back to 1767 when Britain imposed a bunch of import taxes on colonists known as the Townsend Acts. Colonists had no representation in British Parliament and they felt that these acts were unfair. These taxes were not something that they asked for, not something that they could vote on. And you might be already familiar with the no taxation without representation. That is where this comes from. In fact, it was coined by a group known as the Sons of Liberty, who were led by Samuel Adams. Yes, the guy on the beer. The Sons of Liberty were actually responsible for the Tea Party as a whole. Prior to that, in 1768, they would get over 24 towns and cities to come together in a boycott agreement, and more would join as word spread throughout the colonies. Now, the Sons of Liberty themselves were a group of colonists, including Samuel Adams, and basically were kind of a secret society of sorts. And their main objective was to organize and protest unfair taxes and laws imposed by the British. Now, the Crown did not take too kindly to the Sons of Liberty or the boycotts or the protests. And they responded by sending troops to Boston to enforce the new laws and quash any unrest. However, they sent a lot of troops. Boston at the time only had a population of roughly 16,000 people, and Britain sent 2,000 troops. Tensions would build and build, and there would be regular clashes between disgruntled colonists and British soldiers, and this became, honestly, quite a common occurrence. By 1770, things were at a boiling point. In February of that year, a group attacked a loyalist's store by throwing rocks at it. And in case if you can't remember all of this terminology, a loyalist was someone who was loyal to the crown. Ebenezer Richardson was a customs officer that lived nearby this store, and he could see this group getting angrier and angrier. And so he decided to retaliate by pointing his gun out of his window and firing indiscriminately into the crowd. Unfortunately, it struck an 11-year-old boy named Christopher, further sparking tensions in Boston. Just a few days later on March 5th, Private Hugh White was guarding money at the Customs House when several colonists came up to him. They began berating him and threatening him, and he, in turn, struck a colonist with his bayonet. Other colonists at the scene quickly returned violence by throwing snowballs, chunks of ice, and rocks. And quite soon after that, fire bells, or really fire alarms, started sounding off throughout the city, and more and more colonists joined this group that had formed. In addition to that, of course, more British guards came to the scene armed. Now, this was not a great situation. It clearly wasn't going anywhere good. And unfortunately, someone in the crowd reportedly screamed fire. One of the British soldiers took that as a notion to fire into the crowd. At least that's one side of the story. The other side of the story is that it was an accidental discharge of his weapon. But either way, it did not end well. Other British soldiers also started firing into the crowd who were widely unarmed apart from their rocks and snowballs. And five colonists were killed. Anti-British sentiment spread throughout the city and kept spreading. Shortly after, in April of 1770, the Townsend Acts are repealed. 
except for the tax on tea, as colonists used about 1.2 million pounds a year. And they did not have a way to produce it themselves. So there was no real way to boycott this without replacing it with some other drink. Hint, hint, maybe that's why us Americans like to drink so much coffee. Making the switch from tea to coffee became patriotic. And really, we never made the switch back. I think it cemented the idea of tea being a tool of taxation and oppression by the British in the eyes of American colonists. As another side note, tea smuggling was a thing and became super popular while all of this was going on. In fact, Samuel Adams, who I mentioned earlier, along with John Hancock, who you might recognize the name of, were two of the more well-known smugglers during this time. In addition to that, protests of legally arriving ships into Boston were increasingly common. The Sons of Liberty had become pretty well-known and had organized lots and lots of protests. On the days leading up to December 16th of 1773, Three American-made and American-owned ships pulled into the Boston Harbor loaded with tea from China. The intention of the Sons of Liberty and honestly most of Boston by this point was to refuse to pay the taxes on the ships and send them somewhere else. Specifically, they wanted to send them to England to send a message to the king. This, this was decided by a vote taken by the colonists that were against paying for or using any of the tea from said ships. However, the governor intervened. He refused to send the ships away without having the tax paid. And this is where things start to escalate. After several days of protesting, that third and final ship docked in Boston on December 16th. And without a satisfactory compromise with the governor, the Sons of Liberty decided it was time to make a bigger statement. A large group of men, it's estimated that it's about 100, mostly belonging to the Sons of Liberty, the secret society, dressed up in Native American costume. And they did this so they would not be readily recognized. And I mean, not to mention how problematic this is, but many of the images we see of the Boston Tea Party represent these men in Native American costume. Some also believed that the British were less likely to interact with them or try and stop them if they were dressed as Native Americans rather than in their typical colonist clothing. And I'm not sure why exactly that is, or if that is just kind of a rumor that comes up later to try and retroactively excuse this kind of behavior. But whatever their problematic reasoning was, they boarded the Dartmouth, the Beaver, and the Eleanor. Interesting names for ships. For three hours, the group split open the crates that the tea was being kept in and dumped all of it into the harbor. They were careful not to destroy any other property or steal anything else. And anyone who tried to take tea, steal tea and like stuff it in their coats or whatever, rather than throw it into the harbor was reprimanded. They were very strict on this for some reason. They also were pretty strict on not destroying the crates or throwing the crates into the water. They wanted to make a point that it was only the tea that they were after. It was someone's job also to stand with really long poles and kind of push all of the tea under. And if you're familiar with tea during this time, which not a lot of people are, it used to come in, in solidly packed bricks. 
and you would break off a little piece and use it that way. So this was was like heavy. According to an account given by Captain Peter Slater, who at the time was not a captain, he was a young rope maker's apprentice and actually the youngest to be involved in this event. The colonists acted in relative silence. Each person already knew what to do when they boarded the ships. Now, this was likely a decision made to help further mask their identities, like the decision made to dress up as Native Americans. Now, despite there being armed British ships nearby, they did nothing. They did nothing to stop the the colonists as they were dumping the tea into the harbor and really didn't chase them off or do anything. I mean, they were on these ships for three hours. And after all of the events, only one person was arrested. King George obviously did not take very kindly to these actions and decided to impose what became known as the Intolerable Acts, or the Coercive Acts. These included closing the Boston Harbor, ending free elections. He implemented a form of martial law. He required the quartering of British troops in private properties. He expanded the Quebec territory into modern-day into the modern-day Midwest, which voided certain land claims. And he extended religious freedom in that new Quebec territory area, which you think would be a good thing. But it was in order to give Catholics more rights. And this was uh, perturbing to Protestants who saw it as an establishment of religion in this area. And it's interesting because we see a direct response to all of these acts later on in the Bill of Rights, because we see the freedom of religion, aka no singular established religion. We see the right to form a militia that could brandish weapons and fight against essentially what they saw as an invading force or even their own government, because the British were in control here but they did not agree with what was going on, again, because they had no representation. We also see in the Bill of Rights that very specifically, there is to be no quartering of soldiers in private homes. This event really inspired a lot of what would come after it. Now, there was also a second Boston Tea Party that we don't really talk about that was basically the same, but it only involved one ship named the Fortune and only um, 60 crates of tea were destroyed instead of the 342 that were destroyed in what we know as the Boston Tea Party. Now, not everyone actually agreed with these protests and actions, not just King George. There were well-known Americans who also spoke out against these actions, and two of them were pretty well-known. The first one was George Washington, and he wrote a public statement condemning this kind of behavior, calling it un-American. And he was also privately kind of upset over the uh, destruction of private property as someone who was an elite in society. Ben Franklin was the second well-known name to disapprove of this. And he even offered to pay for the destroyed tea out of his own money. And without going into the full gravity of the American Revolution, this is one one event that we all know a little bit about, but I doubt know the true significance and importance in American history. And that really is the story of the Boston Tea Party. So thank you so much for joining me for yet another episode. 
You can catch Feminist History's latest episode on Mary Shed Carey on Friday. So be sure to have a look at that one. It'll be available on our website and I'm sure we'll plaster it all over social media. So be sure to follow us again. That is on TikTok and Twitter at Dark Nostalgia underscore and Instagram and Facebook at Dark Nostalgia Works. And again, the website is darknostalgiaworks.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to great podcasts. And I really love reading your reviews. So if you have an extra 20 seconds to leave one, it would really make my day. And I will be back next week with another historical story for you. Until then, I hope you have a great rest of the week. Bye-bye.